Well, good morning. My name's Nate, one of the pastors here. Good to see you all this morning. You guys sounded great as we were singing. I could hear you and uh, appreciate you guys singing out today. Uh, it's good to be together and to sing those songs. Those songs tell stories. I think that's one of the reasons we enjoy singing some of those songs together is because they tell a story about God's love, about his presence, uh, about who we are. And I don't know about you, but I really like songs that tell stories. And I thought, since you guys sung so well, maybe we could sing a couple more songs that tell stories. So I'm going to start a song. I want you to sing with me because I hope you'll, many of you will know these songs. There's one we learned back when we were in elementary school that told a a simple story uh, about a lamb. And it goes something like this. Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. Mary had a little lamb who's... See, you guys know that story, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a great story song. There's one, we had Father's Day last week, so in honor of Father's Day, there's another story song that starts like this. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad, I... We'll get together then. There you go. So there's another one. That's kind of low. That's like, you need a little baritone voice for that one to come out well. Uh, There was one when I was in high school and college uh, that that everybody was singing that was really a great story song. And uh, maybe you can join me with this one as well. Uh, It starts like this. In West Philadelphia, born and raised at the playground is where I spend most of my days. Max, not... There we go. Good. I was up to no good. Started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight in my mind. Okay, that's enough of that one. Okay. Yeah, Fresh Prince, Will Smith told a great story. And uh, we love these songs that tell uh, stories. And what's interesting this morning, we're going to look at a passage in Judges chapter 4. And it's a cra- an amazing story of Deborah. And it tells her story. And then right after chapter 4 is chapter 5, where there's a song that tells the story as well. And it, it kind of fills in some of the blanks that chapter 4 didn't quite cover and helps us get a better understanding of the whole story. And this happens a few times in the Bible where there's a narrative uh, telling of the story and then there's a song, kind of a poetic representation, maybe a ballad you could call it, that tells the story as well. Another place we see that that's uh, really powerful is in Exodus when Moses is leading the people of God out of slavery in Egypt and they come to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is coming at them with chariots and, and they're afraid and God opens up the Red Sea and they walk across on dry ground and as the chariots follow them in, the sea comes back together and they're saved from, from Pharaoh and his army. And that's told in Exodus 14. And then in Exodus 15, Moses sings a song and he tells the story again through a ballad. And so there's a lot of connections actually through that Moses story and the story that we're looking at today in Judges chapter 4, the, the story of Deborah. Deborah is uh, the, uh, the, the fourth judge that we read about in the book of Judges. And uh, she is, uh, does an amazing job of uh, illustrating for us the, the downward spiral that the people of God were going through in the Old Testament. Once again, we're reminded that, that God invites us to walk in a certain way through this life. He says, I've created you to walk in, in a certain way, and I invite you to walk that way. And uh, it's a way that, that brings us hope and forgiveness and, and power It's a way that's filled with light instead of darkness. It's a way that gives us purpose instead of us wandering around through life. It's a way of life that invites us into community instead of us being isolated and feeling like we're all alone. So we want to look at the story today and be reminded that that God invites us to walk with him in this life. So I want to invite you to open up to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. And we're going to look at 
uh, the story of Judges 4. We're going to read through the whole chapter together, and as we're reading, we'll we'll pause every once in a while, and I'll make some comments. And so I'm just going to invite you to keep your Bibles open, keep your Bible app open in front of you um, with Judges 4 before you so that we can go back to it um, as we go through the story. And uh, I'm going to start in verse 1 of chapter 4. And I'm going to invite you to, uh, to follow along while I read this. Okay, so it starts, uh, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead. Now Ehud was the judge and leader of the people before Deborah. He dies and the people wander away from God. And it says that they, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 2. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth Hagamum, and because he, had, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron, and because Sisera had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. So right at the beginning here, we're introduced to the different characters in the story. And you can, you can see the characters there. There's Jabin, the king of Canaan, and his general Sisera, and, and their oppressive force against the people of God. And it says here that the people suffered under their oppression for 20 years, and then they cried out to God for, for relief. Right at the beginning, it says they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is a theme that catches us throughout the book of Judges, that the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And there's this phrase that comes in later in the book of Judges, a, a real short phrase, but it captures for us almost the entire story And it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's one of the main themes of this book. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's not a good job story. That's not a way to go, way to do what was right in your eyes. It's actually a critique of a broken and and painful culture, a society that had no truth. Uh, there, There was no just and right understanding of the life that God created people for, the way of life that God invited people to walk. People were doing what felt good to them, they took parts of God's truth and they stuck onto it popular teachings and slogans of the day and they said, that sounds good to me, that makes sense to me, so it can't be wrong. If, if I like it, it can't be wrong. It's right in my eyes. And, and people live this way and, and again we hear this, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord because they lived that way. Their sight was, was inaccurate to the truth. God's way was, was life and hope and they were settling for something less. And of course, we ask that question for us today. Could that be said of us today? Could that be said about my life or about your life, that there's areas where we've settled for something less than what God created us for, the best that he has for us? And the text here says, so God, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin and Sisera. He sold them like like he made a Facebook marketplace post, you know, and put his people up for sale. And Sisera and Jabin said, we'll take them. We'll take them. For 20 years, they took them. And, and God allowed that to happen to grab the people's attention, to, to open their, their eyes again to the reality of what they were settling for and to call them back to something better. We hear about Hazor, the city here. Hazor was the capital for Jabin, the king of the Canaanites. And in the previous book of Joshua, uh, the city of Hazor was destroyed. It was wiped out. It was burned. And, and now it was once again the center of power for Jabin, his capital, In the first chapter of Judges, we read about the northern tribes of Zebulun and and Asher and Naphtali, these these groups of people that did not drive the Canaanites out of the land. And because they didn't drive them out, now the Canaanites have regathered and rebuilt. They've powered back up. They've rebuilt their city. And and now now these tribes have to fight against them. It's been 20 years they've been oppressed. 
And this is the only time in the book of Judges where the Canaanite people kind of come back and push back against the people of God coming into the land. And, and it's a, it, they're kind of an obstacle to what God wants to do. And part of why they're able to grab the land back is because we read here about the chariots, iron chariots. We read about that in chapter one as well. It tells us here that Sisera has 900 iron, iron chariots. And to go back to our older story of Moses and, and Egypt, that Pharaoh, we're, we're told in this, the Pharaoh story that he had 600 chariots. And so Sisera has 900. So it's an incredible force because Egypt was a world power when they had 600. Well, here's Sisera with 900. And for the people of God, this was a terrible force to reckon with. And they, they were under the thumb of Jabin. They were oppressed, it says, for 20 years. So quick review. Othanel was the first judge. The people were harassed for eight years. Ehud was the second leader of the people of God, the second judge, and they were attacked for 18 years. And now it's 20 years that they're oppressed before they cry out. Why did it take eight years? Why did it take 18 years? Why did it take 20 years for the people of God to, to cry out to him for help? Why did it take them so long to say, you know what, we need to look to God to help us, to save us? Sometimes hardship and suffering comes down upon our lives, settles down around us, and we don't react to it right away. We don't notice it's happening. Maybe it's like a slow creep, small steps in the wrong direction. Maybe that light, the glory of God, the light of his kingdom around us, it slowly dims, and we're almost unable to perceive it. At our house, we've got 15 smart light bulbs that we can control with our phones in our house. So we can turn them on and off. We can change colors. We can make them brighter or dimmer. Any of you guys have smart light bulbs in your house? Some of you do? Yeah. Uh, a few of us are living in the future. So uh, at night, Angela likes to turn them down. Uh, and she'll, say, she'll talk to Google about it. She'll say, hey, Google, dim the lights 5%. And if, I'm, if my eyes are open and I'm looking around, I'll notice it go beep, you know, just down a little bit. But like, if I miss it, I don't even notice it. It's just, it doesn't make a difference to me. I always give her a hard time when she starts to dim the lights. I'm like, why are you doing that? It doesn't make a difference. But for Angela, it, it changes the whole environment for her. Like now we're in nighttime. Now it's time to settle down and enjoy our evening before we go to bed. And I'm like, I didn't even notice he did anything. Uh, but that's kind of what's going on here in this passage, I think, that God, the glory of God is dimming for his people and they're not aware of it. They're not paying attention. They don't see it. They're not, it's not catching their hearts. And so God has to wait. When has the glory of God diminished in your life? A few percentages. Maybe you haven't noticed it. Can you, can you think of those times? Maybe it's even today where you feel a little stuck in your walk with God, your pursuit of the life that he created you for. There was a time that, that Jesus was telling a story, and it was hard to understand. And so his friend said, Jesus, why do you tell these difficult stories? It makes it hard for people to understand. Here's what Jesus had to say about that. Jesus said in, in Matthew 13, some people have become closed-minded and hard-hearted. They have shut their eyes to what their eyes, so that their eyes never see. Their ears never hear. Their minds never understand. And they never return to me for healing. They close their eyes. They shut their ears. Their minds are no longer able to understand. Eight years, 18 years, 20 years, God's people shut their eyes and turned away. I wonder if there's something about the order of that that Jesus said. It's first our, our eyesight. We, we stop seeing the things that God is doing around us. We stop being grateful for the good things that God is doing. And then it's our ears. We stop hearing his voice. We stop listening to the spirit and his gentle nudgings in our lives. And then our minds begin to think in different ways. And we actually start to think in ways that don't honor God. 
and our, our minds are filled with things. I wonder if there's an order to the, the words of Jesus there. God's people had fallen into this. They didn't hear his voice and they waited. How long are you going to wait before you allow God to move you in you in a fresh way? How long will you settle and just sit in the, the darkness, the dimness of the glory of God instead of opening your eyes and ears, allowing him to speak to your mind again? I want to encourage you to get unstuck, to, to invite God to overwhelm you with his grace and his mercy and his love, to open your eyes to his reality in the world today. The people of God wait 20 years. Don't wait 20 years. One more thing we see in the text. I think this is really cool. About 100 years ago, a discovery was made in, uh, in the modern-day area where this story takes place, where the story about Deborah takes place. It's called Megiddo, and today it's called Tel Megiddo. And archaeologists uh, unearthed an incredible find and they began to dig down, and they found actually 25 archaeological layers uh, that, that revealed th- uh, 35 centuries of history, th- 3,500 years uh, of our past. And they found I- items and objects that helped tell the story of our, of our ancient world. And, uh, I, you know, the, you can find some. One of the things they found was called the Megiddo ivory. And there are these pieces of ivory that had uh, pictures etched onto them. And uh, you can find these in the Palestinian Archaeological Museum in Jerusalem. And since we can't take a field trip this morning, I, I brought a picture of it. Uh, this item on the top there is the actual item. It dates back to the time of Deborah. It dates back to the story that we're reading this morning, uh, close to uh, 3,500 years ago. And in it is this image. And below, they've kind of helped us see it a little bit clear. On the left side is a king on his throne, and there's peoples in front of him bringing tribute and, and playing instruments. And then there's a, a captured people represented by the two men who are bound with their hands behind their back. And most scholars believe those two men are, are Israelite people, Jewish people, that they're represented by the Jewish people. And if you're not sure why, you can ask me later why they come to that conclusion, and I'll tell you. Uh, but this is a, an interesting picture that captures a little bit of this story, Jabin oppressing the people for 20 years, holding them against their will, causing them to have to do things they don't want to do. In Judges chapter 5, the, the song part of the story, it fills in a little bit more of the details. In Judges 5, verses 6 through 8, we read these words. In those days, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took the winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. So in Deborah's time, people didn't take the highways, the 